All right. Oh, man, that was a heck of a week. Really, really long week. And uh, we actually don't have too much crazy stuff happening in the world, which is nice. But uh, today is the 15th. It's a Friday, which is always fantastic. And I want to go over something really interesting that I saw. It was a report came out in the Wall Street Journal this morning. It was talking about how basically gas gas for like home heating is going to get more expensive this winter, regardless of what happens. And it's just because of the shortages and logistics and all that nonsense that you've been hearing about nonstop for forever. So this is really funny. It was like, if we have a colder winter than usual, it's going to go up 50%. But if we have a warmer winter in general, it's only going to go up 20%. And I was like, well, <laughs> great. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, we're, we're kind of stuck. But I, it was just kind of the theme of the whole, the whole, um, I guess the whole week, the whole month, everything has just been the shortages and just prepare for the winter. <laughs> that makes me want to cry. Because as soon as <laughs> gas is going to spike, like I just bought a house and I just happened to live in probably the closest thing to a frozen tundra without it actually being a frozen tundra. <laughs> so that just makes me not happy. I almost started my, uh, my furnace today because I was freezing when I woke up and it was only 64 in my house. So, oh man. Well, it could be an expensive winter. Yeah, it could be. We're actually, we're about to switch apartments within the same complex and we're actually going to have a wood burning fireplace. So I can't wait. Those costs are going to go way down. They ain't going to hit us. It's going to be fantastic. I didn't even think about using that for a source of heat. We have one in the basement. I might just use it to heat the whole house. Well, you know, the other side of that is that lumber's still expensive and wood's expensive in general. So like you don't really escape it. You just kind of feel better about yourself, right? <laughs> Easier to sleep at night. Makes me happy. All right. We're going to start with tech first because I found something really interesting. We have talked about this in the past. I don't know if it was all three of us or just Joey and I, but we basically said, like, what if we could securitize songs and, you know, be able to, like, buy, trade, sell songs that artists have? And so I did a little bit of research, and I actually found that there in the UK, there's a group that has done this. It's called the, the Hypnosis Songs Fund. And hypnosis is spelled kind of funny. It's H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S -S, if you want to take, it up, take a look. Uh, the ticker is S-O-N-G, song, if you want to check it out in the open markets. I think it's an ADR, which basically just means you can buy it in the U.S. as a kind of like a stock. Basically works like that. You don't need to know the details. It's whatever. Uh, but point being, this is really interesting. They buy the rights to song catalogs, and I guess the prices are based on pure play exposure. So quite literally just how popular it is. So their whole goal is to bet on songs of cultural importance. I thought this was really cool. They've acquired over 64,000 songs at this moment. That's like 130-something catalogs. 60% of them, so a hot majority, are at least 10 years old. So it's songs that the majority of the world is probably going to know. It's going to be maybe, you know, you say you say over 10 years old. could be anything from the Bee Gees to, like, one of Drake's first albums. All really, really popular stuff that you could claim had cultural importance for many people. 46% of it's pop. 27% was R&B. Uh, and then the rest of that what 30 something percent is kind of divided up pretty evenly all the way down to one percent of like christian rock something like that i was gonna say if they're uk based i'd imagine they probably have the beatles on file the, the beatles are great for cultural importance i mean you could claim that half of their albums were man yeah no they've got to be on there so i was thinking about buying a couple shares just because i thought it'd be really fun to own some and um i i don't really know exactly how it works if it's like a mutual fund or what but I think everyone should go just look it up. Like it, It's kind of cool that this kind of stuff is happening in the world right now and that we can find these fun, creative solutions and buy weird assets, like buying songs. You, you could have never done that 40 years ago unless you literally went and called up a record label and was like, hey, I want to buy songs from you. So um, 
obviously whether or not it goes up or down depends on you know how many people are buying it, how many people are selling it but like realistically how does the performance of the stock does it so is it based off of how much the songs are played so if you buy it uh let's just say they're cat they have the beatles catalog the beatles catalog is played a million more times next month than last month could you expect to see the stock go up i gotta be honest i couldn't tell you I, what they called they called it pure play exposure which i gotta say i'm pretty sure just means where it is in the charts is where it's going to be price wise so if it falls in the charts if it gets replaced it probably isn't worth much anymore i I think that's probably the simplest way of looking at that. And you have to wonder, is there a little bit of market manipulation there? But that's probably too deep to go for a brief topic like this. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's a whole nother rabbit hole you get into market manipulation. But it's definitely something interesting to take a look at. I mean, if you're a big music guy and uh, I don't know, that's your thing. I feel like it would be really easy to do a bunch of research into into this and it is fun and uh, do something fun to put your money into. I agree. I think a lot of people who are like, you know, you basically have like three things you build your personality on. I guess mine's like cars, money stuff, and I don't know, good food. But like, <laughs> I think if, if music is one of that and you just don't give a gosh darn about investments, this could get you interested in it. You'd be like, oh, this is something I understand. I understand how much people like songs and music. So that was what I had for that. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I, I'm definitely probably going to buy a share or two just, just for funsies. Like, why not? Yeah, a little bit of a fun money have you yep but, all right we're moving on you're up next yeah so coinbase announced this week that they're going to launch their own nft marketplace so um for people out there who don't know what coinbase is coinbase is essentially and it uh how to how to best explain this it's an app think about like, a it, website it's a stock broker can... for uh it's a stock broker for cryptocurrency exactly yeah you can buy ethereum bitcoin all that through coinbase using your us dollar yeah um, but they want to make their own NFT marketplace and they said they want to make creating an NFT to be as simple as tapping a few buttons. And immediately I thought, do we really want this type of accessibility? Will it just dilute the market? And I mean, we've been talking about for probably a month now, how much spam John and I have been seeing of just random 12 year olds art quote unquote. Uh, and I'm saying they're going to mint 10,000. They can't even do proper grammar. Um, but then uh, Coinbase thought of this and they clapped back and said anything more complicated than a click of a button uh, is a barrier to creativity. So what are your thoughts on this? I agree with that. And also I have to jump in. It's not as complicated as it sounds. It's super easy. Like I, so with another good friend of ours, we were messing around this for fun. We literally built a program in which you can mint your own NFTs and sell them on the platform. It's really not hard, but at the same time, Coinbase is going to get crushed. OpenSea has a absolute monopoly on the NFT market. Like they dominate. I think it's 80% of all trades go through them. That could be wrong, but it's really high. Yeah, OpenSea at this point is probably like the Amazon, I would say, of the uh, of the NFT world. You can go on there, you can literally find almost any type of NFT you want and you can buy it. Granted, if you're looking at some of those higher priced uh, NFTs like uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, you're probably gonna be dropping millions yeah. Well, they created a giant open market in which anyone could go participate. Of course they won. That's the way to win. Create a market in which people can come participate. Yep. Now everyone else is just playing catch up. Seriously. I like that though. I'm glad you pointed that out because I had been thinking about that for a while. I was like, why, why don't more of these exist and why aren't the public companies doing it? So Coinbase is interesting to me because they are under SEC regulation control. They're a public company that you can trade through pretty much any broker on the planet. That means they got to follow a whole buttload of rules just to stay afloat and to not go to jail. All these other companies don't have to do that. And most of them hide in like Switzerland. Like they, they literally hide their companies in other places so they don't have to deal with SEC exposure. 
let's play the hypothetical game. Let's say Coinbase buys OpenSea. Now the SEC has a controlling stake in the in the major uh, NFT marketplace. Oh, I don't think Coinbase could afford OpenSea. I don't think there's any way. They're yeah, they're a private company. They're hiding out somewhere, and they're making so much flipping money a month. They have no desire to be sold. That's true. They'll probably never sell. No way. Yeah. With, God, with the transactions they have going on, they have like millions and millions of dollars flowing through their platform a day. It's crazy. Honestly, I'd love to see their volume. Where does their profit come from? Is it from like... It's uh, fees. Like the direct sale or is it from ads on the site or what? It's all from fees. They just... Gen- they, yeah, they straight up generate fees through every single trade. So obviously the higher the price, the higher the fees. So they... That's why it's an auction. Like they they want to they want to bid the prices up and have people trading these things back and forth. They're just skimming off the top the entire time. It's kind of wild and it's genius. Is it like a flat percentage? I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I I mean, it's it works the same way as like a normal like a physical auction that you'd go to. Okay. So I was just saying, does the gas money go to them or no. does that still go to the individuals processing those transactions? That's correct. Gas fees always go to whoever has the computer that has been doing the work to let that transaction happen. And they're obviously currently and probably will be for a long time the largest problem in that whole market. Oh yeah, gas fees are definitely gonna get worse this winter because as real gas goes up, <laughs> that means energy is getting more expensive. Energy is more expensive, your computers can't do as many transactions. Boom, gas and fake gas are going up, calling it. I don't know how people can afford to mint. After I saw the price of gas, um, as in in the crypto world type of gas, Yep. I mean, it's it's $5,000 to mint or, or make a $300 transaction. So I just, it blows my mind. I saw an awesome story where somebody was like, they had they paid one hundred eighty thousand dollars to make a trend in gas fees just to make a transaction happen, and then when it didn't go through, they had to pay another one hundred twenty just to cancel it because to cancel the gas fees happening, they still had to pay to send that through the blockchain. So we obviously it's not a perfect system. We got a long way to go. But I, I thought that was really funny and yeah, a mess. Yeah, <laughs> figure it out, guys. Figure it out. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I gotta wonder what are like the computer requirements for processing some of these things. Like, it's gotta be pretty, really, really huge because, like, obviously, if you're charging one hundred eighty thousand dollars to just process whatever this is, like, but could I not like sign up my computer so that way when I have it in sleep mode, to generate money for me by just processing these things? I couldn't tell you. You should look into it because I'd be curious. I'll bet you need more than you. You probably need a really beefy setup, like. Otherwise, everyone will be doing it. It doesn't make any sense. Though I, I guess if nobody knows, then I don't know. That's my answer. Don't know. Yeah, I'd just go to like a used computer parts store, snag up every single Dell <laughs> or whatever computer that's less than five, ten years old, link them together, and create a mini supercomputer for processing. Well, you know, people would literally, they literally build farms around this stuff. Like they'll buy warehouses and set up in the warehouses just lines and lines of servers and computers just to do this because they want to mine the gas fees. So not my lane then. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's. Too, I think at that point the barrier to entry is just too much. But that's what I was thinking. They probably have whole server rooms built with just it's buildings, buildings and buildings. It's nuts. But until we get more entrance, it's going to be expensive. Yep. All right, we can move on from that one. So we didn't get to do real estate a little bit, and it actually worked out perfectly because I wanted to do Blackstone stuff because Blackstone owns everything and the planet they own the planet it's unbelievable like you think amazon and apple run the planet no blackstone owns the planet look into it it's nuts and uh i wanted to do that but 
throughout the week, more stuff came out from them, more acquisitions, and they got a whole bunch of people up in the like the politician seats that they 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 control everything. Like they're running the world, and it's kind of nuts. So I don't want to go into any of the political stuff because that's a slippery slope. But this is a fun fun segue into saying that they actually bought my apartment complex in September. <laughs> and so I was curious one time, as I obviously I work in the real estate world, so I was looking into it. I was like, huh. I wonder who owns my apartment complex because I saw that it just sold. They have to send you like a paper that says, "Hey, we just sold your we sold your unit pretty pretty much," and someone else owns it. You're paying rent to someone else, and uh, so I was like, "All right, who owns it?" I checked in. It said Blackstone. I said, "All right, when did it sell? September." I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's right, it just happened." Yeah, it was part of like a like a fifty sixty million dollar sale of ten different apartment buildings all throughout the U.S. We were the only ones in Florida. It's nuts. They just drop bajillions of dollars on these things because they can. Yeah, these are the companies that uh, you should be more scared of. Not not Amazon or Apple, because we know Amazon and Apple. You don't know. The average person doesn't know Blackstone, I feel like. Right. And they're behind the scenes, and they own everything. And even if you did know the company, pretty much anyone in the finance world, real estate world, is going to know who Blackstone is. But then you're like, okay, who's up top? Who's in charge? Wait, they're not in the news. You can't find them. So that got me thinking. How are they not a monopoly and how do we not have antitrust going on? Like every time Apple, Facebook, Microsoft sneezes, they get an they get slapped with an antitrust lawsuit immediately. But this can go on. It's nuts. So, all right. One quick opinion because I I took to Twitter a little bit on this one because I was a little frustrated. Everyone's like, there's no housing. We're in a housing shortage, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, dude, wipe your tears away and look for one second. It's Zillow, Blackstone, and like three other big companies. They're just buying up stuff from each other. They're not buying it from anyone else. They're, they're just trading and causing the prices to go up artificially. It's ridiculous and it's absolutely corrupt. And at the same time, they can take a loss on it. They don't really care, which is why they're just doing it artificially, hoping the demand will materialize. And I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm not one to call a crash and never will. But if there's going to be an issue, it will literally be, be because of that. So you said these companies are basically just selling these properties to each other. I mean, it's, it's almost like you said, inside it's bidding wars. Yeah, it's bidding wars pretty much. And they just go back and forth and they'll literally like take losses on houses and stuff because they know that they don't care. They just need to own properties. And ca the capital is so abundant. Like there's so much money floating around. They just have to spend it somewhere. It's nuts. Oh my God. Yeah, doesn't that hurt your head to think about? <laughs> yeah, holy cow. It's scary. So yeah, whenever you, whenever someone's like, yeah, I bought I bought this house and then I sold it two weeks later for 50 grand more. And I'm like, yeah, I, know, I know probably who bought it. <laughs> or someone got a loan from one of these companies. But is interesting. All right. So that'll move us on a little bit from that. I have another quick fun piece that I got out of the journal. This was earlier this week. It was talking about, uh, it was a, a group of friends or who basically went in on a mortgage together. So they could split it 50, 50 because there's no way we can afford a house together. And even apartment rents are getting pretty high. So they kind of did a smart thing. They're like, all right, we're going to buy like a single family home that would usually be for, you know, uh, a couple and maybe a kid and a dog. And why don't we do that as just the two of us and then split the mortgage? We're confident our friendship isn't going to break up. I was like, that's a great way of doing it. And I think we're kind of just recreating multifamily within single family rentals. Like, because a lot of these houses were never meant to be purchased. They were just meant to be rented out forever. So we're kind of beating the system there. And I think that's really neat. That is pretty neat. And I mean, I can definitely see why people would do this because in today's world, it is impossible 
impossible to buy a house by yourself. Yeah, you, almost, you just almost impossible. <laughs> you just went through this 20s. process. <laughs> and then even like you said, the rent. Renting is almost as expensive as paying a mortgage right now. It can be Especially tough. Especially if you want to live somewhere decent. Yep, I agree. So that got me digging because I saw something else interesting. This is a pretty hot topic these days all over the internet. And one of the pages I follow was like, mortgage is a term that literally means death contract. And then, you know, under it, there was like 20 purple haired people denouncing capitalism forever and ever. And I was like, okay, all right, hold on. There's no way this can be as scary as everyone makes it out to be. And so sure enough, I looked it up. Uh, this is from the helglibrary.com, which I looked like a pretty decent source. Uh, the quote is, the word mortgage is a French law term meaning death contract. So that's accurate. Meaning that the pledge ends or dies, the pledge dies, not you, when either the obligation is fulfilled or the property is taken through foreclosure. So not as scary as everyone made it out to be. Everyone should relax. See, death contract is terrifying. I immediately yeah. thought, oh, <laughs> it's scary. Now, man, I, maybe I should sell my house right now and just get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Buzzwords. Uh, when you break it down, it's not as scary. And it makes sense. I mean, when the when the obligation is fulfilled and you pay off what you said you were going to pay off. It does. Or the bank says, if you're not paying it, we're going to take it back. Exactly. I loved it. All right. Matt, you're up. You got a nice little section to do. All right. So my medical minute today uh, <laughs> is a little bit about Medicare payment. Uh, to preface everything, most of what Doc's payment comes for, especially in primary care, which is like your family practice, that type thing, comes from reimbursement from Medicare. They give services to people who have Medicare, and they get payment back from Medicare rather than the patient themselves. So Wait, how insurance works. So you're not actually paying the doctor? No. So like if you have Medicare, like you're over 65, uh, you oh, not paid me. into Medicare. There's a certain amount you may have to pay. You may carry your own separate insurance outside of that, but uh, Medicare is what pays the doctor. Understood. Anyways, they created a law recently, I believe it was, at least I saw this in September. Basically, they're going to have a performance mechanism for docs uh, for pay. So it's going to be a sliding scale. The docs are kicking out better quality, using less resources, and um, have, are, have a more efficient process then they're going to get more money. If they're using up more resources, aren't doing as good care, they're going to get paid less. And I think this is good for both patients and docs. It's going to drive better care and it's going to cut down on costs. So is, do they get like a survey at the end of like, how was your visit today? One out of five stars? Two out of five stars? <laughs> See, but that's been a thing for a while. Like they're kicking those out in hospitals all the time now. When you leave, you get your clipboard with all your forms and then it's like your little Yelp survey at the end. How was your doctor? How was your nurse? I must not be sick care. enough. I've never seen this. But like, um, the bad thing is about this is there's gonna be super high admin costs because they're gonna have to audit all of these doctors and hospitals and groups and that type of thing to figure this out. Like, because other than like the quality of care, like whether the patient has continual issues and like how satisfied they were, to understand how efficient the process is and how much resources they use, they have to do an audit figure that all out that's going to cost a ton of money which but it, i'm not sure they'll make back by cutting docs pay that aren't efficient yeah but isn't that already the problem is we've talked about this plenty where i was like why the heck is medical stuff so expensive why has it inflated so high in relation to other things and you're like well it's just because we're paying the people who run the hospital way more not the doctors right i mean admin have increased three thousand percent since i think it was like 1990 or something like that that's crazy so like 
There's way more people in suits there in the hospital than there are people in white coats. 3,000. Joey, can you look up real quick uh, the cost of inflation since, or not inflation, cost of education since the 70s, how far that's inflated? And then Matt, you continue while we're waiting. Okay, so I'll hop on to the next thing real quick. So the same law that was enacted, it's called MACRA. I don't have the acronym name here, but basically it also created an incentive for use of alternative payment models. So this is targeted at your primary care docs. So this is like your pediatrics people, your family practice, general practice, that type of thing, not your hospital docs typically. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it, um, if they're part of an accountable care organization, which is basically any uh, decently sized doctor group that takes Medicare, and uh, they must accept other forms of payment that are alternative. Um, so like insurance. the preferred insurance. Got it. And if they don't take this, uh, these preferred things, then they have to give back some of the money that Medicare has been paying. Well, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Why not? I, I say the same thing. I think it's a good thing because now you've got, it's great for lower income patients. They may not have the fancy insurance or the job that provides that or at least the typical accepted insurance at the doctor's office. So they're gonna get better care because they're gonna be accepted in more wildly places. So can I pay in Bitcoin? <laughs> and that would be nice, but probably not. Okay, actually I have a real question here. At what point are the insurance companies gonna start investing in cryptocurrencies? Because that's how they make their money is they take, they take the money that you spend on the premiums and they invest that trying to make a profit. I'm sure they're already into it to some degree, but I don't want to get into them and how scammy they are. Yeah, they are. They're awful. But the thing is, for docs, if you're a primary care doc and you're part of an accountable care organization, which may be a small one, this isn't all that great because it doesn't mean, uh, if it's not as reputable of a uh, insurance or some other alternative form, you may not get the money you work for quickly at all. It may be delayed. Insurance is really, really well known for doing that. They delay paying because yeah, the longer they have the money, the more money they can make off investing it. Of course, they're just gonna hold it as long as they can and try to make the returns. Right, but the good thing is, if docs are part of this thing and they meet all the criteria, they get a 5% bonus uh, on top of their, so it's based off their uh, total physician Medicare billing for the year. Huh. And they said on average, if they if every doc that was eligible for it applied, they'd get three thousand, which isn't super a lot per year. But it depends. Like sometimes they said it'd be more or less depending on how much uh, billing they do for Medicare. So if they accept more patients in this world that it is where they have alternative payment, bringing in more people that wouldn't necessarily be able to come in before, they also get more money back, which means more care for everyone and more money for the doc. Makes sense. Which, it's just motivation to do better work. Yes, which is also good because primary care doctors, like despite going through undergrad and grad uh, medical school and all the rest, they make a lot less than the rest of the doctors. Like primary care makes anywhere from 150 to 250, which is nothing to shy away from. Still sounds pretty but, good, except in New York. It sounds terrible in New York. Yeah, but like <laughs> when you've got 300,000 or more in loans creeping up behind you, that's not a whole lot of money. Right, I'm just being an asshole. Yeah, but <laughs> for reference, reference emergency medicine makes three hundred fifty thousand dollars. That so also sounds great. You're making like twice as much emergency medicine than these people, so like it's good for them to have incentives to bring in these more people and give them a little pay bump and that type of stuff because they do amazing work and treat people from any age essentially. So it's really good to see. I love it. So basically, the big takeaway is we need to uh, get people motivated to do better work and pay them. 
Yeah, and that's the way to do it. If you offer more money, people are going to be willing to do more things. And they're willing to take a little risk here. I mean, for an extra 3000 a year, might be worth it, might not. You just have to weigh the first cost. Yeah, 3000 is probably not much when you're making $350,000 a year. But for me, that sounds pretty good. That little 3000 makes sense. I mean, that could pay for their fancy trip with their wife or kids or whatever they want. That would be a good vacation. I totally agree. All right, you got more for that? Nope, that's all it for my thing. Fantastic. All right, so we, uh, Joey, did you find the thing? Yep. Um, prepare for this. So this is according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Mm-hmm. The prices for college tuition and fees have gone up 1,421.5% since 1977, which is a value of $284,000. Um, and on average it inflates another 6.38% every year. Which is higher than typical inflation in every year. So that, that's that's what's always kind of grinded my gears is that stuff like that, like medical practice stuff and education inflates so much faster. And it's exactly to Matt's point. It's just there's just more people in the equation. I think it's, that's it's not like, necessarily a bad thing, though. The cost barrier might solve some of our issues by finally letting people know that, okay, a college degree isn't necessarily worth the value that it has unless you're going in certain fields. And so we stop getting all these people with bachelor's degrees for nothing that end up in like just a little retail store or like you can do so many different jobs and not have a bachelor's degree. Careful, Matt. Someone's going to call you an education educationist. Mm. <laughs> all right. I'll deal with it. Yeah, I know. We, we, we could probably do a whole section on the education. But uh, we, we brought something that I know we prepared and no one, none of the three of us know what we're going to use here. But we wanted to end the final segment on a, uh, a little segment called Inventions We Don't Think You're Going to See Before We Die, which we're all in our early 20s. So that's at best another good 75 years at worst tomorrow. But fingers crossed for that one. Uh, regardless, I brought eight so that neither of you buttholes can steal all of them because Joey constantly steals mine for the segments and I'm prepared. I'm totally prepared. So how many do you guys have total? I got three. Perfect. Matt? I got three. Okay. Awesome. So there's no way you can take all of mine. <laughs> all right. We'll do, I guess we'll do snake draft. Matty B, you're the, uh, you're the newest addition, I guess. So you go first and then we'll go backwards there. So go ahead. Uh, since I'm the medical man, I said that uh, the cure for cancer will not be an invention that comes in our lifetime. But don't we already kind of like have a way to fix it? I have a friend who just beat cancer. I mean, yes and no. It depends. But basically, we just give ourselves different radiation or chemo, which is rat poison in different ways. And they destroy cells and everything else in it. But there's no way to really cure it. It does its own thing. It's due to mutations of your body. We can't just make it go away. Got it. So you mean like a non-invasive way to cure cancer that doesn't end up destroying the rest of you? Right. All right. I don't know. We might come up with something creative, but I, I'm man, 75 years, you don't think we're going to have that? No. I mean, it's just too broad because like the way it works is like cancer, like your cells divide and as they divide, mistakes are made continually. Yeah. So like everything is individualized. It's not everything is in a perfect form of like, okay, this specific cancer has these things. Every like you can have one cancer that's different in four, five, ten different people. Like it's a case by case basis. All right, I got it. That makes right. sense. Okay. All right, Joey, you're up. All right. 
Mine, my first one is neural implants. And anyone that is a uh, an avid follower of Elon Musk knows he has been talking about this for probably five to 10 years. He thinks that he is going to be able to, in the near future, implant stuff into his brain that, uh, I don't even know what it does, but neural implants, it's like putting technology into your brain to whether it augments reality, um, make you smarter, faster, but uh, he claims it's something that he's working on and developing and something that he can have done in the next decade. But I think that's a long way off and that's going to open a whole nother can of worms with liabilities and the health field and all that good stuff. I'm going to disagree with this one. Didn't they already have the monkey playing Pong with his brain? Oh, okay. Let me, <laughs> let me revise. Neural implants for humans. But don't, aren't we working on them right now? Because we, we were trying to basically like connect them to our uh, prosthetic arms and legs and like have it accept the impulses. Matt, you, you probably know better than I do. Where are we on that? Right. I was going to say that like, I'm sure this will be here in our lifetime because like, the way most like robotic arms and all work is you basically have electrodes and they sense different electrical movements of you flexing the muscles and like your proximal arm closer to the elbow. And that's what moves the robot hand. Fancy words. It wouldn't be all that more. I mean, it is very, very difficult, but like to take that same technology, put a little implant in your brain, connect it to different sections of your brain. And maybe you link specific thoughts or feelings or whatever to these neurons and then that could control movements and that type of thing. I don't think we'll maybe be able to implant knowledge and intelligence, but as like a controller function, I think it's going to be here. Okay. Yeah. For, for prosthetics, I agree, but I was talking like recreational, like put something in your brain and then it was like, we were talking about with those contact lenses or whatever, and they augment reality. All right. Well, since you just guessed mine, my first one is, (laughs) <laughs> it's augmented reality contact lenses. <laughs> Dang it. I'm too good at this. That's a pain. I don't think we're going to be able to do that. I think at some point we're basically going to be like, all right, it's easier to just put something over your eyes. So that's mine. <laughs> but, and then I get to go again since we're doing snake draft. And I'm going to take the easiest one that I cannot believe neither of you did. This is so easy. Teleportation. There's no way we're going to be able to teleport within 75 years. No way. Yeah, I agree. That's insane. I mean, the amount of quantum physics. It's the, unbelievable. It's it's, I, some, it's, yeah, it's one of those things we came up with 60 years ago, and we're like, yeah, this would be awesome. And then you actually think about it, and you're like, there's no way. Like, <laughs> just no way. I don't, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even think that's possible. I don't think that'll ever happen, ever. No, doesn't make sense. I don't know. Life is long. Watch it happen, and then me just sound like the biggest dumbass in the world when someone hey, somehow I'll, stumbles across this in 120 years. I'd love that, but we'd be dead in 120 years. So either way, you're up. You got your second one. Hoverboards. Sorry, Marty McFly. Oh, like an action. I don't think they'll happen. Oh, that kind of bums yeah. me out. Like anti-gravity they're, stuff. They're sweet. They look awesome in Back to the Future. And we have like those fake ones on wheels that everyone like bought in 2016 or something. Yeah. Called them a hoverboard. But like an actual hoverboard, I, I just don't see how that's possible either. So you don't think we're going to beat gravity? Because, I mean, our best attempt at a jetpack is something that just shoots like steam and water really fast out the back of it to propel you forward. But it doesn't actually defy gravity. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there'll ever be like an actual back to the future hoverboard. Um, obviously, people have done stuff in the past with like air. You know, you have like those little machines and they shoot like a ton of air out the bottom and you're kind of hovering. Or you could do stuff with magnets, but other than that. All right. I'd buy that. Okay, Matt, your second. So my second, and 
in honor of me just finishing the Dune book that the movie's about to come out. Very nice. Or did come out. Uh, is light speed travel. Like, true space travel at super fast speeds. Not just a rocket, like, we're talking Star Trek type thing. Well, that's a bummer. I was kind of hoping that that would be a real thing. <laughs> me too, but I don't think it's going to happen. Elon's not quite there. Dang. I don't know. I... Uh, yeah, that, that's another big shift in rethinking the whole thing about physics that I just wouldn't even know how to tackle. Man, that's a bummer. I would totally love for Star Wars to be real. <laughs> Me too. All right. Joey, you up for your final? Yep. Mine is, it's, it might be a little controversial, but civilization on Mars. I don't think we'll see us colonize Mars in our lifetime. I had that down, but I'm sick of betting against Elon Musk and losing, so I'm going to not take a stand on that one. <laughs> I've placed two bets against them in this in this little ranking, but I I mean maybe he'll get there. Maybe maybe we'll someone will set foot on Mars, but I, I doubt we'll uh, colonize it. All right, so you'd buy that we're gonna get there within our lifetime, but not that we're gonna have livable societies there. Correct. I'd yeah, buy that someone too. Someone might set foot there, and it'll be a big thing, but I I mean I highly doubt we'll colonize it. I yes, I'm willing to buy that. Okay. I'll say that we will have a small colony because everything that we've talked about so far of getting to Mars has been like, we can get there, we can kind of stay there for a little bit, but no one's coming back. They're yeah. kind of like, it they're just takes going too long. on a one-way trip. So there'll be at least a temporary colony. Buying <laughs> a one-way ticket. Yeah. I, I think some people would go for that at some point. Okay. I have, let's see, cryosleep. I don't think there's any way we're going to be able to freeze bodies and keep them perfectly intact for an, like... In infinite amount of time. I just don't think it's going to happen. Haven't you heard? Walt Disney. (laughs) I was hoping that you were going to do that. (laughs) Underneath Magic Kingdom. I think he's like underneath the castle in Magic Kingdom. Yeah, we just got all the frozen. It's going to be like Futurama with all the heads and the the talking heads. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, dude, they're saving them for the for the end of October. That's how they're going to end the 50th anniversary. He's oh. just going to walk out of the castle. I'm back. It's going to be Walt Disney on a, uh, oh, man, he's going to be like on a little roller and it's just going to be his head and they're going to have Richard Nixon next to him. <laughs> no, I agree. There's no way we're going to be able to freeze, deep freeze the human body and then thaw it out. Which is a bummer because, I mean, you could just like, then you just wake up a thousand years later and be like, bang, that was cool. What's next? And then in a way we kind of do have time travel. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dang, time travel would have been a good one. Dang I it. was going to use that, but I didn't want to. Matt, is that your last one? No, it is not. Dang, that would have been a great one. All right, what's your last one? My last one's real lightsabers. Oh, I had that on my list too. I was too. thinking that too. Yeah, like plasma that you could keep within a cylinder and retract and all that. And would only be a certain length. That's the issue, I mean. Everything we made so far is like, right, okay, we can make a laser, but it's a beam. It's going to go on infinitely until it like kind of fans out. Yep. So like, there's no real way to like capture plasma on a short little blade. Like, that's a bummer. That would have been cool too. All right. Well, I think that wraps that up. You guys have anything else? Yeah, I actually have a quote prepared today. It's Are you, you going to take ten minutes to do it this time? No, I'm <laughs> prepared. Um, it is a quote from my favorite author, uh, one that I know you enjoy as well, George R. R. Martin. Oh yeah. He said, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Yeah, I agree with that. It bugs me when people say they hate reading. Yep, so pick up a good book this weekend. Yep. All right, anything else, Matt? I was just going to say, read Dune. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's like the original sci-fi book. Yep. That's on my list. I've been meaning to start it. It's like 700 pages long, but thoroughly worth it. (laughs) All right, well... 
I might try that next. Audible.com is what you should use. I wish they would sponsor us. I absolutely love Audible. Say, but, are they paying for that? Man, nah, totally not. But either way, I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Excellent episode. And we'll see you Tuesday morning per usual.